We started out on a journey last Wednesday night and didn't get anywhere near through. And so I'm going to go back to the journey here on this Wednesday night. And I do appreciate you being faithful to the house of the Lord. Great crowd here on Wednesday. Others will be coming, I'm sure. We always wait to the end of the service to take our offering or receive our offering. I, I quit taking offerings because that could be brutal. I started receiving them instead of taking them because you start trying to take them, you get in trouble. But uh, we'll receive your offering at the end of the service tonight. We want everybody to be blessed. We would want anybody to not be blessed. Amen. So, so let, me, let me rehash and review and go over a couple of things with you real quick. We started a lesson last week talking about God sending a deliverer. And we know that uh, we studied the birth of Moses and talked about how God called Moses. What a miracle story Moses is. In the time of adversity, God raised up a man to deliver his children. Deliverers are born in the time of adversity. Remember that. What the devil means for bad, God means for good. Can you say amen? That's what happened in our lesson last week. We talked about Moses and Aaron going before Pharaoh. We covered the plagues that came to Egypt and talked about all of those plagues, blood, frogs, gnats, flies, cattle, disease, uh, cattle disease, balls, hail, locusts, darkness, and ultimately death. And then, of course, the Passover, how that the Lord passed over the land of Egypt and uh, the blood was applied to the doorpost of the children of Israel, to the top of the door, and the death angel would pass over that house because he saw the blood. And the Lord said, when, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where the feast of the Passover, it's a celebration that God passed over that house, their houses and spared the firstborn of man and beast. And then we talked about Israel leaving Egypt and uh, how that they crossed the Red Sea, how God made the bitter water sweet, how he fed them manna and then quail, amen. And then, of course, uh, the law and the tabernacle, we talked a little about that. We talked about the 12 spies sent from Kadesh Barnea, how that they went into the land of Cana. Ten came back and said, we can't, but two come back and said, we can. The two that came back and said, we can conquer the land. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. Amen. So I'm just, I'm just re-doing re, uh, this just briefly and then, of course, we talked about the brazen serpent, and then we went into the God makes a covenant with Israel. We talked about a covenant. A covenant is a, uh, it, 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 it's a contract, and God made a contract with Israel. Uh, we, know, we have the old contract or the old covenant in the Old Testament, and now we have the new contract. There's a new covenant. We're going to be talking about that as we go forward. That's, that's where we are right now, and I want to talk about that. God makes a covenant with Israel. Uh, let's, let's return for a moment here tonight to Mount Sinai, and uh, that was the place that Israel got their, their schooling from God because the Bible said that the law, the Old Testament law, was a schoolmaster. Now, you better be glad, and I better be glad 
that we are not living under Old Testament law because most of us would have already been dead because God, pardon me, God just didn't put up with no junk. And he was very, very specific. And if you did certain things, there were certain laws and certain orders. We'll talk about a little bit of that as we go. But Israel arrived at Mount Sinai about in the third month or about six weeks after they left Egypt. The Jews traditionally, listen to this, observed the anniversary of the giving of the law with the Feast of Pentecost. They observed the giving of the law with the Feast of Pentecost. And you know and I know what happened in the New Testament concerning the Feast of Pentecost. Here's what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31 and 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their heart. And there will be, and, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So when you talk about the law and, and the covenant that God made, let me tell you something. The law was written back then on the tables of stone and, and, and upon things that they could have, but there was no heart change. But God said in the New Testament, he said, I am going, the Mosaic covenant was one thing, but the Jesus covenant of the New Testament is another because he gave us the law written in our heart. I am thanking God today for the new covenant that we have with the Lord of grace and mercy and kindness and repentance and forgiveness of sin. We're going to talk about that for just a little bit tonight. Moses went up on the mountain more than one time. As a matter of fact, he went three times in one day. Uh, Moses, Moses' law could only govern the soul, that is the mind, the body, and the spirit, the emotions. Uh, but, but, but the new covenant is going to be from the inside out. What you have in the old covenant is laws and commandments and ordinances and things that governed. It was the government. God makes a covenant with Israel, but we are now in the study of the fifth dispensation, which is the law. How many of you have ever read the book of Leviticus? Read it? Go read. It's hard to read sometime. Uh, the book of Numbers, the book of Leviticus, uh, these, the, these laws and ordinances that came down from God. Uh, I, I'm reading the Bible through again this year and uh, just in succession. And, and when I got to Leviticus, I, I was just amazed at the things that were there. Uh, it, it just blew my mind again reading because it refreshed my memory of things that perhaps I'd already read, but there were some things that just... Uh, they just hopped off the pages of the Word of God because God is so specific and He is so detailed. He is so, I mean, when He says it, He said it's going to be this way, and if you don't do it this way, this is what's going to happen. There was no variation from the law. didn't matter who you were or what was going on. So the, the outward sign of the Jews that a man was a Jew and was living in covenant with God was circumcision. That was the outward sign. But now we have circumcision of the heart, which is our baptism. The, there, uh, 
acting as a, a mediator for, for both sides. Moses, I want to take this right off the page, enumerated the preparations for receiving the law of God. And this is what he told the people of Israel when he was going up on the mountain. He said, you have to abstain from all the sensual pleasure. You have to wash your bodies and clothes. A fence has to be erected around the mountain, separating it from the people. And should man or beast touch the mountain, they would die. There was such strict punishment exemplified. It, 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 was, it was so reverenced by God and so holy. And so... On, on the third day, the congregation stood before the mountain and, and they were expecting to hear from God. And suddenly, the silence on top of that mountain was thundering and lightning flashing. And a thick cloud of, of blackness came over the top of that mountain, followed by an earthquake where Sinai, or Sinai was troubled and God began to speak to Moses. It was a voice like a trumpet, the Bible said. Deuteronomy 4 and 11 said, A voice like a trumpet sounded while the whole mountain smoked and burned with fire. This is the way he brought his commandments and his law, and he began to give them to the people. He, there were three divisions of the law, three divisions. I, I want you to... Just stay with me because I want to get to the Ten Commandments in just a moment. But there were three divisions of the law. There was moral law. Everybody say moral law. That relates to the rule of right conduct. Okay? The moral law is basically found in the Ten Commandments. There was civil law, and this relates to the rights and duties of citizens of a community. As a matter of fact, let me pause and say this to you. America... And a lot of the world is set up with the law in the book of God as being the example as to how we ought to rule and reign and, and have laws in our world. You with me? So, so there's civil law relating to the rights and the duties of citizens, and then there's ceremonial law that relates to religious ceremonies or rituals uh, principally in the book of Leviticus. So Moses ascends to the mountain. These laws were given. God makes the mountain shake. And uh, for 40 days, Moses consumed the, the, with the things that God was saying. He commuted with God. He received the moral law, the civil law, and the political law, and the social law, and everything that God gave to him as how to rule in Israel. And how they were to live. Now watch this. He gave him ten suggestions. No. Everybody say it wasn't suggestions. Say it was commandments. You know what a commandment is, don't you? That's what your mom or daddy gave you when they said go clean your room. Ten commandments. These Ten Commandments, I want to talk about them a little bit and, and, and go a little bit in depth them. They are the basis of the divine law of God, which Israel accepted as their charter or their constitution to live by. Amen? These commandments were engraved on two tables of stone. While Moses was on the top of this mountain and the earthquakes came and the smoke came and the, and the lightning and the thunder the Bible said that the finger of God engraved on two tables of stone 
the commandments, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them down. This four commandments, four of these commandments relate to our attitude toward God. But the other six commandments relate to our attitude toward man. And Jesus wrapped that up with this. When they asked him in the New Testament, what's the first and greatest commandment? He said, well, number one, that you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Number two is what? You love your neighbors yourself. So he, he covered the four that was the attitude toward God and the six that were the attitude toward man. So let's, let's, let's go through them very quickly here today. Here they are, Ten Commandments. You, 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 you probably, if I would have not put this chart up here, I could have said, who can quote the Ten Commandments? Guess what? Probably not many people can give you all Ten Commandments. Amen? Thou shalt have no other God before me. That's number one. That's God. Everybody say this with me. God is a jealous God. He said that over and over. He said you can't have another God. This emphasizes man's duty to serve God. This is what it said. Money, pleasure, fashion, fame, gluttony, nothing can replace God in your life. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl must be committed to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. If you don't serve God with everything, you may as well not give him nothing. He demands your best. He demands your very best. If you don't serve God above all, you, you don't serve God at all. He said there is no other God before me. The scripture over and over, God says in his word, beside me there is no other. There is none like me. There is none beside me. There is none above me. I am the only God. And so we understand that. So the number one thing in our life is, and I could talk a long time about this, because we may not have gods of stone, but we can have gods of hobbies. Oh, I'm going to preach a little bit here right now. We can have gods of money. We can have gods of, of, of talent. Don't you get quiet on me tonight. We're studying the Bible. You can have God, a God of anything. You can, look at me, you can make anything a God. Am I right? All you got to do is put it before God. Now, Jay, me and you won't like this, but you can make fishing a God. Donnie, you won't like this, but we can make hunting a God. Amen? Women, you can make shopping a God. Oh, boy, I done quit preaching and went to meddling. You, you, you got to understand that anything, anything. I, I, can I pause and uh, every once in a while and tell you a little story? I passed a woman, I told you this before, years ago, years ago, not here, somewhere else. Well, I ain't been up, Sandy Lake. That's the only other place I ever passed. But many years ago, 40 years ago or more, uh, lady called me one day. And she, she was so sweet. She's a good lady. She said, Pastor, I'm not going to make it to church tonight. She said, I have walked in that mall all day long, and my feet are killing me. True story, David. And she said, but God knows my heart. And you know what I said to her? That's right, sister, he does. 
He sure does. Where's your God? Look at your neighbor and said, where's your God? Who's your God? What have you got as God in your life? You know, I just, I just believe this, and this is a little time for us to just talk about it. It's, it's not just gods of stone or wood or, you know, it can be sports. It can be, it can be, it can be a lot of things. It, it, your God can become your family. Your God don't even need to be your family. Your family falls second to God. And then the church falls after the family. Somebody shout amen. That's the way God designed it. That's what he meant to be. So number one is, thou shalt have no other God before me. I can see right now, probably won't get through tonight. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Now, we don't have probably an issue with that, but in that day, they did. A graven image was they built gods of stone. They built gods of wood. They worshiped the Nile River. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped the moon. They worshiped gods whom they created. And he said, you can't create another god, and you can't worship a graven image. He said in the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Oh, how many of you still believe that? I'm going to tell you, if you won't see me walk off, you let somebody come around using that kind of language. Amen? I, I, don't, I, I believe we got, that's a sacred thing. I believe God is a sacred thing. I believe Jesus is a sacred thing. Amen? You got to be careful. Don't, do not. That wasn't just for then. That is for now. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord. Look, my mom's here tonight, and I can remember her getting on to me for saying, my God. And you sure didn't say by God. I'm just, I'm, Lord, no, you, I ain't saying that, Lord. I'm just trying to get through these people. You just don't use his name lightly. Does anybody agree with that? Your, your conversation that way will tell who you are and what you are. I want to tell you something else. People have to use the filthy language. Their, their, their uh, IQ is probably about my shoe size. Amen. Thank you. Here's number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, in the Old Testament, you remember God created the earth six days, or the world in six days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. And he said the seventh day is a day of rest. It's in the commandments. Now, there's great argument. I know the first church said they, they worship God on the first day of the week. That's what the Bible said. They worship God. I'm not going to argue with you about what day is the seventh day. There's a lot of argument about the, the, the Saturday or Sunday. I, I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. Here's what I am going to tell you. There needs to be a day set aside that you rest and you worship God because that's God's design for mankind, and that's one of the Ten Commandments. Look, in my day, there was no mall open. <laughs> you did good to find gas when I was growing up. On a Sunday. Come on, y'all know I'm telling the truth, all you old timers in here. And now you can buy anything, go anywhere, everything's open, everything's going. You know why? Because people don't honor the Sabbath day and they don't keep it holy. Amen. Both man and beast was involved in that. And if you go study the early church and you study the Old Testament, You'll find the Sabbath day is a very spiritual thing. 
and it's very necessary because God made it the way, that way. Now, here's the next commandment, and it's the fifth commandment, but it is the first commandment with promise. The fifth commandment is this, honor thy father and thy mother. Somebody tell me why. I've, I've counseled with teenagers before and kids that were rebellious, and I said, hey, you want to live? You want to live? You want to live a long time? You better obey your mom and daddy. You better honor your father and mother. I believe you got to do that till, till forever. Amen? You don't need to be rebellious towards your father and your mother. Honor your father and mother. Because your days may be long. Bill Cosby said one time, son, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. Amen. I remember him saying that. But honor your father and mother. Children must reverence and obey parents. One of the signs of the last day is when children are going to be disobedient to parents. That is a direct violation of of one of the commandments that God gave us in the Old Testament. And by the way, the law was a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ, but never are these Ten Commandments obsolete in the Christian walk with God. You never do away with these Ten Commandments. They are not suggestions. They are commandments, and God intends for us to live by them. Amen? Here's the next one, thou shalt not kill. I believe that. Now, and I cover this, however, I, I do believe in capital punishment because the Bible gives us that and, and Scripture is there and we won't go into the long discussion with that, but I believe that the Bible bears out that, that if a man's a murderer and he's destroyed what God made in his image, then sometimes he deserves death. Not always, but in the Old Testament there was an avenger of blood. And if you kill somebody, they were coming for you. Amen? So I still believe thou shalt not kill. Now, I, I know people, many years ago, I, uh, you know, people would sign up in the army as conscientious objector because they didn't want, want to carry a gun. They didn't want to shoot anybody. They didn't, I would tell you about me, I never had to go to the army. But if I went to the army, I want a gun. I don't want anybody shooting at me and me not be able to shoot back. I got news for you. You come in my house at night and try to harm my family. You probably gonna find you're gonna get met with old 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 Colt. You ask me after church, I'll tell you who Colt is. Amen. Thou, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm sure you understand that. Marriage is the highest and most sacred of human relations. It's not to be violated by infidelity. A man is responsible to love and to care for his wife more even than his parents. Amen? Thou shalt not steal. I wish I could look every one of you in the eye right now. If there's one thing I cannot stand in this world, it is a thief. Amen? I've had things stolen from me, and I don't know of any time I would be any madder than when somebody stole. I walked in. A, my wife and I were in Jackson, Mississippi a year or two ago, and we we went in the little eating place, and it was full, and I saw a little table right right here. 
If y'all never been to Mama Hamill's in Jackson, you need to go. That's it was voted at 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 times the greatest buffet or the best buffet in the South. It, it I mean it's it's a whole. Who said that's right? Yeah, that's hey Will, you the man. I didn't know you was up there tonight, but but it, it it's an awesome place. Matter of fact, we graced that place not long ago, didn't we, Will? And we sinned, but we asked for forgiveness. <laughs> so so my wife and I went in, and there was a little table right there, and it was full. And I said, baby, just lay your phone right here. We'll just go through this little buffet line. We'll come back to the phone, and that'll be our place to sit. Nobody's going to get it. They didn't get our place to sit. They got our phone. And I just happened to look up when I sat down. I said, she said, they got my phone. Somebody got my phone. Well, I looked up, and there was a camera right, right above us. I said, I called the manager. I said, hey, come here. We just had the phone taken off this table. He said, give me just a minute. He went back and he, he got, this is not in search for truth, by the way. But, but he, he, got his, he, got his, he got his camera and he rolled it back and he come back and he said, I know, who's, I know who got it. Let me go find him. And he went to the back room and I said, take me to him. I want to go. He said, no, 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 no. Yo, you can't go. And he come back and listened a little bit and he said, uh, he said, took me a little while. Said the lady denied that she had the phone. And, and I had to take her to the office and show her that I had her own camera. But he handed the phone. Well, it didn't have the $50 cover on it that she had when she got it. And I said, sir, this phone had a $50 cover on it. I want the cover too. So we went back. She said, I don't have the cover. And he came back and said, she don't have the cover. I said, yes, she does. And I may not be able to go back there. You don't want me back there, but I'm fixing to go back there. And I said, furthermore, if you don't get that case within about two minutes, I'm calling the cops because you know who they are, and you're going to have havoc here in this restaurant tonight. He said, give me just a minute. And guess what? We got the phone and the case. I can't stand a thief. Bible said thou shalt not steal. That's every person has a right to ownership of private property, and you shouldn't mess with it. Amen. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That means quit lying on one another. <laughs> Hello? You know what my daddy used to say? A rumor can go around the world before truth can get its boots on. Just don't, just don't bear false, false witness against your neighbor. Failing to protect the truth is the command that God gives in the Word of God, this includes slander, gossip, tail-bearing, without careful investigation, leaving a false impression, exagger I'm reading now, I'm not making this up, I'm reading, exaggeration, flattery, or failure to defend one who is unjustly criticized. You know what? Just don't get into all that. Don't get, the Bible said, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And then he said, thou shalt not covet. We are not forbidden, or excuse me, we are forbidden to desire houses, our spouses, our things, our cattle, our property, our possessions. You can't covet your neighbor's possessions. That's, that's number 10. So these are 10 vital things that God gave us. Ten vital things. God had approached Israel. 
and come close to them. And his presence had stuck with them. And now Moses had two tables of stone that the law or the commandments are written in. And he starts down the mountain and he hears singing. And he, hear, he said, what is all the commotion? And while he's up here for 40 days, the people got tired of waiting and they talked Aaron into building them a golden calf and they were dancing around and worshiping and all that work God did with his finger, Moses threw it on the ground and it, and, and it shattered into powder. But God wrote it again. Moses was upset. The Bible said in Exodus chapter 32, Turn from thy, Moses prayed this to God, turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thy own self. He said, I'm praying for them, God. I'm standing in the gap. And when Moses prayed to God, the Bible said he repented of the evil that he thought to do unto his people. God was about to wipe them out. At one place in time, Moses, the intercessor, said, if you're going to wipe them out, you just wipe me out too. He was a great prayer warrior. Amen. So Moses, Moses had thrown the stones down. The law was given back. The commandments were written again, and they were put in the Ark of the Covenant for decades and centuries. The law, I, I end that, that chart with this. The law... Is like a thermometer. It indicates fever in the body, but cannot administer a cure. It's like a mirror that clearly reveals the dirt and the blemishes, but it cannot cleanse. The law was our schoolmaster that brought us to God. Now, the next chart, please. I gotta talk about this very quick tonight. Here's what God wanted. Throughout the ages, God has diligently searched and longed for individuals who delighted to think and to talk about him. God always wanted and has had a holy people separated unto God. Now, there's several things on this chart, and I'll, I'll go through them quickly tonight. But I want you, because I got some stuff to cover on the tabernacle plan. But there's, there's several things on this chart that you need to see. To be a holy people separated unto God. God was grieved when Adam and Eve pulled their, their uh, stunt in the garden and sinned and brought death to mankind. God was happy when he found Abraham. And, and God designed a people out of the loins of Abraham who would be a holy people and a people of promise. We talked about that. But the word holy means separated and set apart. It means splendid. It means beautiful. It means pure. It means uncontaminated. When we talk about holy, we've often talked about holy or holiness as just being the way somebody looks. Oh, no. It goes way deeper than the way you look. Holiness starts on the inside of a man. It'll make you talk right. 
It'll put your mind in, 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 in sync with God. It will help you to do the holiness will cause you not to be bitter or not cause you not to hate your brother or cause you not to go to the wrong places. Holiness, holiness is a spirit that lives on the inside. And I like to preach it this way. It emanates from the inside out. It emanates. It infuriates God for his people not to be holy. Here's some things that happens when a man is holy unto God. He teaches his children to worship one God. That's holiness. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses said, I want you to teach your children in the morning when they get up. I want you to teach them when they go to bed. I want you to teach them during the day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They were the people that believed that and they were separated from all nations because of their belief in the oneness of God. They, they, they were taught in the Old Testament the tabernacle to be a place of worship. They were taught to go to church. Holiness is, is putting God in your life and going to the house of God. I'm talking about our day now. But in that time, there was a place. You know where the tabernacle was in the, in the camp of Israel? Right in the center of everything that went on. You know where the church ought to be in your life? Right in the center of where we live. The church ought to be the most important thing in our lives. Somebody here say amen. This is the, to me, this is it, the church. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about God's people. This is my life. The tabernacle was placed in the middle, and they were, they were, they were taught to go and offer sacrifice and go through the ritual of that day. They had priests that offered sacrifice and then interpreted the law. They were separated. The Le Levitical priesthood. I wish I had time to go through all the things on the Levitical priesthood and the tabernacle plan. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But they were taught to give sacrificial offerings. And they were taught that the Sabbath was a day of rest and joy. This separated them from other nations. They were taught about special feast days, special feast days. Every male Jew was required to attend three festivals each year, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacle. And each symbolized some unique historical event for the people of Israel. Two other feast days were the Feast of Trumpets, which was the announcing of the beginning of the civil Jewish New Year, and the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, a blood sacrifice was offered one time a year by the high priest and the Holy of Holies for the sins of the people. Every seventh year in Israel, there was a sabbatical year. The fields were not planted. Everything, see how God laid it all out? He didn't just tell you to rest. He told the land to rest. There was a sabbatical year. The fields were not planted. Every 50th year, there was a year of jubilee during which all property reverted back to its original owner. So this, this, this was important, and, and the Lord said, this is what you have to do, and it separated them, those feast days. And then they had moral laws, moral laws. Let me talk about that for, for, for just a moment, if I may. The book of Exodus and Leviticus gives us some moral laws. These are laws that, that conduct 
keep us in, in, in check. Let, let me just read you what our lesson says. They are proper treatment of other people, honest principles of life, how to be sexually virtuous, how to re, the restrictions for choosing marriage partners, sexual rights in marriage, responsibilities and treatment of husbands and wives. You didn't know all this was in the book, some of you. It talks about divorce. It talks about remarriage. It talks about God's judgment of homosexuality and sexual perversion and idolatry and witchcraft. And nine of the Ten Commandments are moral laws. Nine of the ten are moral laws. God demonstrates the intense displeasure toward certain actions. Listen to me right now. Usually sins are labeled as these sins that God hates are called an abomination unto God. Anybody ever heard that terminology? An abomination. That means God God hates that. It it literally means, if you study the scripture, extreme disgust. It's loathsome to God. It's hateful. It's shameful and vile. Amen? At times, God would say, this is an abomination to you. In other words, you ought to hate this. But in other times, seven times, God said, this is an abomination to me. Always, these are gross moral sins, equally condemned in the New Testament, by the way. Let me say this to you, and I want you to think about it. What once was an abomination unto God is always an abomination unto God. Does that make sense? He hasn't changed his mind. He still thinks the same way. So what are these abominations? In the book of Deuteronomy, there are such abominations. Here's some of them. Graven images, human sacrifices. A defective animal sacrifice. God didn't like that. Witchcraft and spiritism. Religious prostitution. Remarrying a defiled woman. These are all quoted as abominations. Interchange of apparel between sexes. I hate to tell you, but God wants a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. Hallelujah. There is no such thing as a transgender. Put it on Facebook. I know you don't like, some people don't like me. I had somebody tell me not long ago, you just say it the way you say it. There is no other way to say it. I'm sorry. God made male and female, and the last time I checked, he hadn't redone anything. Amen? Everybody with me? So that's why he said, men look like men. Women look like women. I've seen several shims in my time that I couldn't tell what they were. Matter of fact, this is God's honest truth. I was in an eating place last night, and this whatever it was, walked up to the counter, and my wife said, is that a man or a woman? I said, I don't know. I can't really tell. Other abominations to God in, in the book are <laughs> pride, lying, summer, excuse me, 
I, I started to say summer, but but I'm 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 gonna stop right there. Murder, sowing discard, a froward heart. A lot of things in the book that God don't like. We need to quit worrying about what we don't like and talk about what God don't like. Amen. Don't make any difference what we don't like. What you don't like, what preachers don't like, they don't have a right to preach against. But what God don't like, we got a right to preach against. If you're taking your text from the first book of Danny Chance, you, you, you're in bad shape. And if I preach from that book, I'm in bad shape. But if I stay with the Word of God, there's plenty in there for us to work on and not be an abomination unto God. Somebody ought to help me right here. Amen. So, so these are, are things that God doesn't like. Dietary laws. You know, while, while Israel was in Egypt, they apparently ate everything they wanted to. But God started telling them. I'm going to read a couple things out of this lesson for you because this, this is in, in, interesting to me. Here's, their, their meat was largely, their meat diet was largely restricted to domestic animals used in sacrifice. Now watch this. Any animal that divides the hoof and chews the cud may be eaten, such as the cow, the sheep, the oxen, the deer. But those that chew the cud with undivided hoof, such as a camel or a horse or a rabbit, he said, shall not be eaten. And because the pig divided the hoof but does not chew the cud, its flesh is also unclean. Now, let me pause right here. We ain't going to hell for eating pork chops. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God turned all that around in the New Testament. And he said nothing's unclean. You can eat a rabbit if you want rabbit. You can eat squirrel if you like rats. Amen. But but these are the things God, here's what else he said. Y'all ready? All seafood with fins and scales may be eaten, but shellfish like shrimp or lobsters or crabs and oysters are unclean. That's to the Jew. God's dietary law was so specified that neither fat nor blood were to be eaten, and that's in Leviticus 3.17. Now, now, you can go to medical science and see all that stuff that's not good for you. But here's what the Lord said to Israel in Deuteronomy 5.33. He said that ye may live and that it may be well with you and that ye may prolong your days. He gave them a diet that would prolong their days. I'm sure glad that he come back and he said nothing's unclean. He shook that sheet in front of Simon Peter and he said, I've made it all clean now. Thank God for that. Amen. Because, boy, what would we do without pulled pork and pork chops and, and shrimp and uh, shrimp etouffee? And uh, come on, y'all ready to eat now? <laughs> what would we do without all that? So here, here we are, but we're in the New Testament. This, these were the dietary laws. And then customs and ceremonies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush through this because i got to get to the last, the last uh, chart or two. God dwell with his people. The next chart, please. God d dwell with his people. Notice now, in the middle is the, is the tabernacle in the wilderness. You see that with the, the uh, I, don't, I wish I had my pointer, but there's a brazen altar, and then there's a, a, a brazen laver, and then that black part right there, that is the 
holy place and then the holy of holies. And around it is a fence, and this is called the tabernacle in the wilderness. Notice how it's set right in the middle of all of the tribes of Israel. God strategically placed them. God's desire was to be near his covenant people. The tabernacle provided a striking illustration of God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about it in just a moment and show you the pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. Probably I could take a whole net lesson on the tabernacle plan because in the New Testament, Stephen referred to the people of Israel as the church in the wilderness. All of these are types and shadows of what is to come. The camp was carefully organized for marching and carefully organized for camping. And every tent door, every tent door faced the tabernacle. Every tent door that's in the Bible, it faced the tabernacle. And here's God's message. If you will put me in the center of your life, I will take care of you. They had a cloud that led them by day and a fire that led them by night, and they were moved by God whenever they moved. God will take care of you. When the tent flap was lifted every morning, they could see the pillar of cloud hovering over the tabernacle. If that cloud ever moved and God said, let's move, they had to pack the whole business up, and they moved. God was hovering. His presence were there. They were constantly reminded of his nearness in the tabernacle in the wilderness. The Levites were situated between the people, that's the priest, that's the preachers. Between the people and the church is the man of God. I, you know, it's hard to preach sometime when you preach like this, but God wants you to have a man of God in your life. He said, how can they be saved without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they be sent? God demands of his church to have a preacher in your life, a pastor in your life. And in this situation, the Levites, the, the Levitical priesthood were placed between everybody and the tabernacle. They were standing in the gap. The Bible said in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And that's what God laid out in his plan. The tabernacle always faced the east. Does anybody want to know why the tabernacle always faced the east? Because it always faced the rising of the sun. Wherever they camped, the tabernacle's face was toward the east. And the tents were placed toward the tabernacle. Now, there were marching orders. And, and when they moved, there were certain ways they had to move. But here's, here's the deal. Judah, everybody say Judah. That means let God be praised. Judah always went first. Praise always goes first. Everybody say man, That's a sermon I could preach tonight. I have preached before. Next chart, and I'm going I'm to wind up with this one. I'm going to get it. Praise God. A new way of worship. So what you saw a minute ago was the, you saw the, the, the big uh, picture but here's inside the tabernacle in the wilderness. Let me, let me, just, let me just take a, a moment, and I, I, there's no way that I can talk about every one of these, but on the bottom left-hand corner is the brazen altar. 
The brazen altar was used daily for sacrifice. Every day they, they used sacrifice for, for the people. And it was blood sacrifice, animals that were brought and placed upon the brazen altar. From there, the priest would go to the brazen laver. See the gold, you see the, well, it's, it's noted there, a ceremonial washing where the priest was required before ministering at the brazen altar uh, or entering the tabernacle. They washed. They washed before they did the brazen altar. They washed before they went into the Holy of Holies. The brazen altar says up here the place of death. It was the place of bloodshed. Sin had to be covered by blood before man could fellowship with holy God. So just, just watch this for a moment. So you got the brazen altar, you got the brazen labor, and then you go in, you raise the flap, and you go in to the holy place. In the holy place, on the top left-hand side, you see, or you'll see the arrow there that points inside to the golden candlesticks, provided light for the priest to perform duties in the holy place. And there was oil in those lamps, and the priest went in and changed that oil daily. It, 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 was, it was lit at the evening, and it stayed all night long. It was a place for where they were, they were it brought light to them to, so they could operate to do what God wanted them to do in the holy place. The altar of incense was there. On the bottom you see altar of incense. This was a, the perfume fragrance of incense was offered to God twice a day. That was called the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. And they, they offered the sacrifice unto God. Now listen to me. People could go to the brazen altar, but they could not go inside the holy place. Only priest. Only priest. You had to go to a priest, and he had to go and offer the sacrifice to you. The altar of incense we call the altar of worship. Everybody with me? And then the table of showbread. The table of showbread is on the right there. These are 12 loaves of unleavened bread sprinkled with frankincense and renewed each Sabbath, eaten by the priest, became a continual thank offering unto God. So you see the layout here. And then there's that blue curtain. That blue curtain separates the holy place from what we know as the holy of holies. Only one person went into the holy of holies, and that was the high priest. And he, could, he did not go in but once a year, one time. He brought the sacrifice to God. <clears throat> it was so sacred to God. Inside the holy place, or excuse me, the holiest of, holiest of holies, was the Ark of the Covenant. Does anybody, don't, well, you've already read it. You know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant had three things in it. Who knows what they are? Is it up there? It was a pot of manna, Aaron's rod, uh-huh, the Ten Commandments, the tables of stone, Aaron's rod, and a pot of manna. This, this Ark of the Covenant was the most important part in the tabernacle because you can't see it well, but it's made of gold. And all of this stuff, if, if the Bible tells how it was made, how many cubics wide and how many cubics high, how it was overlaid with gold and all the the the, the things they carried it with and the rings and everything is detailed. But this Ark of the Covenant had two cherubims that sat up on top and up on top was called the mercy seat. That was, the Ark of the Covenant is where God dwelt. 
If you go read, you go read the book of God, let me tell you, when Israel lost the Ark of the Covenant, they lost victory. But when they went back and got the Ark of the Covenant, it brought power and glory to Israel. Amen. And, and that's many stories, and we'll talk about some of them perhaps. But, but this is the layout of the, of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, let me, let me give it to you real quick. I didn't, I didn't cover the details, but I would love for you to go study the tabernacle of the wilderness. There's many people. Just go to the next chart, Brother Jeff, if you will. There's many people that, that, uh, that pray the tabernacle plan. Uh, Brother Mangan in Alexandria, uh, the older Brother Mangan, started doing this years ago. And they, they, he, he talked about praying, going from the brazen altar to the brazen labor into the holy place. That, and, and I'm going to tell you why. Here's what that represented. You see up top, good things to come. You see the guy kneeling and Jesus upon the cross. And, and these pictures up top depict what's happening in the New Testament. On the bottom, it is an example of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Because here's what happened. You got to go by the, oh, I'm going to preach a little bit here now. You got to go by the brazen altar because that's where you die. And death is repentance. What do you, what's the first step when we have faith in God to get to him, to get salvation? Does anybody tell me? When they asked Peter on the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did he say? Everybody say repent. You can't come to God without repentance. And let me, let me add something else to you right now. You got to live a life of repentance. You can't repent one time. You need to get up every morning and say, God created me a clean heart and renewing me a right spirit. I prayed it this morning, kneeling by my recliner in my living room. God, you make sure there's nothing in me that's unlike you. You dig everything out of me that you need to dig out of me. I want to repent before you today. Everybody ought to repent every day. Because we got the problem of carnality we're dealing with. And our minds get messed up. And our hearts get messed up. And our actions get messed up. And our tongue says things we shouldn't say. And we need to repent. We need to repent daily before the Lord. You go from the altar of the brazen altar into the brazen laver. It's symbolic of baptism. You got to have a washing to be saved. Paul said we are saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We got to have washing, and that's baptism. We go from there into the holy place. The candlesticks represent. The Jesus Christ, the light of the world. The showbread represents Jesus Christ, the bread of life. The altar of incense represents a place for us to worship the light of the world and the bread of life. And then you walk into the Holy of Holies. Let me tell you what happened. I'm going to preach about it in a week or two. I always do on Easter. When Jesus died. When he died on the cross and he said it is finished, does anybody here know what happened in the Old Testament tabernacle? The Bible said the veil. There's a veil between the, I showed it to you. Well, can you back up one chart, Jeff? Is that, is that possible? Back up one chart. Let me show you that veil because that veil was, was what separated the holy place from, uh, there it is right there. Where you see Ark of the Covenant, that blue veil, Nobody could go beyond that. It was so sacred that when the priest went in, they tied a rope around his ankle. And they put pomegranates and bales on the hem of his garment. 
And it was so sacred that if he had any sin in his life, when he went in the presence of God, that he died immediately. And they tied a rope on him so they wouldn't have to go in and get him, but they drug him out of there. That's a holy place. But let me tell you something. That's a place of mercy. That's where God shows people mercy. That's where the cherubims are over the mercy seat. It's called the throne of God. And what happened and, 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 and when Jesus died, when he said it is finished, the Bible said that there was, there was something that rent the, the veil in twain from top to bottom. You know what it did? It tore away. It tore away that veil that you see right there. And now... David, you can go to the Holy of Holies. Gage, you can go to the Holy of Holies. I can go to the Holy of Holies because that's the presence of God. When you get there, you have attained the mercy of God and you can find God sitting on his throne on the mercy seat. I'm preaching to you on a Wednesday night that the tabernacle plan was no accident. It was God's typology for the world to be saved in the New Testament church. Amen. The scripture bears that out in the New Testament. I wish I had time to preach it all tonight, but I don't. But I will tell you that these were examples. These were given to us as types and shadows. This is what the New Testament refers to many times. The church was the tabernacle in the wilderness. But I tell you what Paul said, if the, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, heifer, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works? Hallelujah. Does anybody believe the blood of Jesus is the Lamb of God? That's the taking away the sins of the world. The blood of Jesus is what we're all about. Thank God I don't have to go to a preacher or a priest and confess my sins and he says, okay, I'll offer a sacrifice. No, 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 no. All I got to do is go to the Holy of Holies and get before the mercy seat and the presence of God will come down in my life. I'm telling you on this Wednesday night, we are blessed people because we are part of the new contract. We've got the new covenant, and the grace of God is given to every man and woman in this church. Hallelujah. Stand up and clap your hands and give God praise right now. Thank God for the mercy of God. Thank God for the word of God. Thank God for the things that we find in his word tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.